0: Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 51 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast, where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I have discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today. Whether this is your first time into the Wildlands with us, your 51st time, or you're somewhere in between, I am glad you decided to meander over to the campfire with us and take a load off before we head into the gaming wilderness for another adventure. Dee Dee, our canine expedition leader, will be around to help you get settled in. Just be sure to stand still and make no sudden movements as he gives your leg the obligatory sniffing. It's just part of his process, and I have no idea what it is that he's actually sniffing for, but once he's done and you are checked in, be sure to grab yourself a drink and get comfy. Dexter, our old man chihuahua, has been coming out of his little blanket fort a little more than usual lately, so watch where you step. He can get pretty feisty in his old age, but if you think to, give him a good scratch behind the ears. It'll absolutely make his day. Dee Dee and Dexter are both creatures that enjoy the simple things, and it doesn't take much to make them happy and get their tail wagging a mile a minute. It actually made me think of some of the things in my own life that just make me happy and put me in a good mood without very much effort. Video gaming as a whole is certainly one of those things, but I'm thinking about more of the simpler things. I love drinking a hot cup of coffee in the morning on my porch if the weather is agreeable, I enjoy a good cigar paired with the perfect bourbon. I enjoy the smell of pine and just that general outdoorsy smell. I enjoy sniffing the pages of a brand new book or a game's instruction manual. And probably right behind video games for me, I love a good movie. When it comes to movies, I think we all have that one, right? That one movie that always grabs our attention. The kind of movie that, if you just happen to see it while you're flipping through the channels or you're on one of your streaming services, you'll sit with it and watch it no matter what it is that you're doing. The kind of movie that makes us feel like a kid again, and the sort of film that takes us back to simpler times. We all have that one, and when I had a chance to watch my personal favorite recently, it made me think about the game tie-in that I've always wanted to go back to and see if it was as bad as I remember. Or maybe it won't be so bad and there's actually something there worth talking about. On today's episode, we're checking out a video game that I've always had a soft spot in my heart for, especially since it's tied to my favorite movie of all time. It's a game that I don't really hear many retro gamers talk about, other than when they would share stories of how this game is nothing more than a quote-unquote crash-into-the-ocean simulator and how there are far better licensed titles out there. But as I got older, I refused to think that that's all this game was. From what I can tell, it was one of the earliest flight simulation type games available, and after playing through it last week, I can confidently say there is a little more here than people would lead you to believe. And just like any good guilty pleasure movie, there doesn't need to be anything super complicated about it to enjoy it. So today on the Retro Wildlands, we are going to be checking out Top Gun for the Nintendo Entertainment System. I have to be honest with you all, I have been wanting to do an episode on Top Gun since I started this podcast. The original Top Gun movie, released back in 1986 when I was just two years old, is my absolute favorite movie of all time. And the reasons for that are very simple, but they're also kind of complicated. It's my favorite movie for a lot of the same reasons that Final Fantasy VII will always be my favorite video game of all time. Is FF7 the best Final Fantasy game? I can argue that it definitely is not. But it will always be the best in my eyes, and it has a lot to do with a bunch of memories I made, not just playing the game, but how I saved up my own money to buy it, and and how my friends all slowly played it and we all bonded over it. Things like that are what make things our favorites, and that's why Top Gun will always be my favorite film. I have vague memories of playing Top Gun on the NES over at my aunt's house, and while I didn't put a ton of time into it, it seared itself into my memories. From the opening seconds where we see an F-14 Tomcat preparing for takeoff, to flying in the clouds looking for enemies to shoot down, to the landing, or attempting to land, on the aircraft carrier at the end of the mission. It all stuck with me to the point that, even seeing this game today, It gives me the nostalgic tinglys. But now that I'm on this journey of playing old retro games that I missed out on growing up, I found myself thinking about Top Gun again. Was it a good game, or was it just another licensed movie tie-in looking to cash in on the movie's success? Is it possible that there was more to the gameplay and level design? Or did Top Gun the video game truly crash and burn? Well, my friends, today I want to dive in and answer those questions, as well as share some of my favorite memories from my favorite film. Now, if you're new to the podcast, I like to kick things off by chatting it up with you all a little bit and giving you all a peek behind the scenes here in the Retro Wildlands before getting into the episode itself. Depending on what's on my mind, I like to talk about what's going on with the podcast itself, what games I'm playing, what's going on in my personal life, any projects I might be working on, and whatever else comes to mind. I'll also read and respond to any comments I received about Top Gun when I put a call out for them on our social media pages. Now, if none of this interests you and you just came here for my thoughts on Top Gun, No worries, you can just skip ahead about, eh, let's say about 12 to 15 minutes, and you should get into the game talk. I'll also have loaded timestamps into the show's description, so if you want to know exactly where you need to go, you can use those instead of fumbling around with your podcast app. But certainly consider sticking around. We're going to settle in with a little gaming talk, and you'll get to hear your fellow wildlanders sound off with their thoughts and their memories around Top Gun. so, without further ado, scooch in a little closer to the fire, my friends. let's get into our opening segment that I like to call Campfire Ketchup. <laughs> So things in my neck of the woods remain busy as usual. The beginning of the year is usually pretty busy at my adult job, and this year is absolutely no different. Every year around the February-March timeframe, I'm usually flown out to our company's annual expo, where we have the whole company together for a big conference and a huge sales event. For me, it usually spans an entire week, where I'll fly out on a Friday morning and not return home until the following Thursday. Preparations leading up to it can be pretty intense, so lately the work stress has been climbing up a bit. But it's all coming to a head, and in just a week or two, depending on when this episode goes live, I'll be out in Orlando, Florida, hopefully enjoying some decent weather. Since I've gotten into game collecting, though, I've been excited to spend some of my off hours hunting for retro games whenever I'm off on work trips. One year, my wife came to Las Vegas with me, and one of my favorite memories with her was how we tracked down a retro game store just outside the city and took a bus to get there only to get off at the wrong stop, and then we walked on foot for about two miles across construction zones and open areas before we found the shopping plaza that had our final destination. I cannot remember for the life of me the name of the store, but it was absolutely worth the trip, and I hauled a hefty bounty back to the hotel room. One game that I really enjoyed out of the pile that I brought back was a game called Black, an underrated first-person shooter on the PlayStation 2. Developed by Criterion and published by EA, Black's presentation and sound design were what really stuck out for me. If you happened to catch our last podcast episode on Metal Gear Solid, I called out that I have a real-world appreciation for firearms. While I don't consider myself an expert by any stretch of the imagination, I have a decent understanding of how a gun works, and I have shot plenty. Black's presentation really focused on making the weapons in this game as realistic-sounding and looking as possible for the time. While modern first-person shooters have really ramped up the realism when it comes to weaponry, Black was one of the earliest that I can remember that had genuine reload animations and other gun behaviors like the character pulling out a magazine to check if it's loaded, using your thumb to pull back the hammer, or just having general inspection animations. The developers of this game even used movies for some of their sound design inspiration. I read that the MP5 submachine gun and the Uzi machine pistol sounded a lot like the MP5 John McClane used in Die Hard and the Uzi used in the movie True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis. Either way, Black is an awesome game that you should try if you're at all into shooters. I also picked up an M Classic when I was in Vegas, which is a small graphics enhancer designed to upscale game graphics a little bit. It does some cool stuff for retro and modern games alike. The game store we found had this little puppy used for about 40 bucks, when it normally retails for about 100 The older I get, I seem to have more of an appreciation for game graphics and what goes into them, so it was nice to grab something that would enhance my experience, even if it was just a little bit. The M-Classic isn't life-changing or anything, and I am certainly not endorsing it, but finding it on my Vegas journey was pretty cool. All in all, I am curious to see if I'll find any retro game stores near where I'm staying in Orlando this year. I'll certainly report my findings, especially over on our social media pages. Speaking of social media, let me quickly mention that the Retro Wildlands is all over social media if you're looking to join up and you want to keep tabs on what's going on with the show, as well as add a little gaming spice to your timelines and feeds. We have a link tree that you can access by going to linktr.ee forward slash and this will point you to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, slash X. Threads, YouTube, and Blue Sky pages. I do my best to be somewhat active on social media, so give us a follow if you're at all interested. Since I usually only post one thing a day at most, you won't get smacked in the face over and over again with content. I like to think of my social media posts as thought-provoking and value-add. (laughs) <laughs> who am I kidding? Half the time, I'm just posting a picture of a game in my collection, a beer I might be drinking, or a photo of Dee Dee or Dexter. But one quick thing to mention, whenever I put a call out for comments on the game or topic that I'm going to be covering, I'll do that on social media, so join up on your favorite platform if you want to interact with the show in that way, and potentially have your comments read by me. So as far as what I've been working on for the show, I've decided what I want to play for our next episode. I just need to carve out the time to play it. The website How Long to Beat clocks this game in at about 8 hours, which is the perfect length of time, I think. Really what I need to get back to is going to bed a little earlier and waking up early again. In the early days of the podcast, what really helped me stay on top of a weekly release schedule was getting up early and putting some serious work in before leaving for my actual job for the day. That, however, started to wear on me a bit because I wasn't going to bed early enough so I was grinding myself down to a stump. I'm hoping to get back to some semblance of a balance again. Plus, and I don't know what it is… I like being up when my kids get up and they come and see me in my home office working on building my passion project. If these kids take anything away from my wife and I, I hope it's the notion that anybody has the capacity to build something with enough work and commitment. Anyway, episode 52 of the show is a lock. I just need to play this awesome game and get to writing about it. What is it, you might be wondering? I can never decide if I want to tell you all because, on one hand, it certainly builds up suspense, I would think, if I keep it close to my chest. Plus, it allows me to pivot away from a game if I'm not feeling it or if I just can't make a show the way I want to. But on the other hand, I want you to all know what to expect out of the show going forward. So, since we're talking about that, I would love to know what your preference is. If you think of it, and this is totally if you think of it and you want to spend the time, drop me a line on one of our social media pages and let me know if you prefer one way over the other. I listen to podcasts all the time, and I listen to shows that do it both ways, and as a consumer of multiple podcasts, I appreciate each approach equally. But if the Wildlands community has a preference, let me know. In other news, I finally finished The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild on my Switch this past week, and after putting 50 hours into that game, I am pretty satisfied with it, and I am very happy with how that game ended. I didn't complete every single quest that the game had to offer or visit every single shrine, and I definitely did not find all 900 Korok seeds, but I'm very content with the time that I spent with it, and I am done with it now, so I'll be putting that back on the shelf, and Tears of the Kingdom will eventually find its way to my Switch, but I am definitely going to be taking a breather from Open World Zelda for the moment. Right now, I am eagerly awaiting Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which I thought I was going to miss out on since I didn't have a PlayStation 5 until recently. Speaking of the PS5, I was fortunate enough to get my hands on a PlayStation Portal, the handheld device that lets you stream your PlayStation 5 to it. I've been looking for one since I got my PlayStation 5, but they've been sold out everywhere. I finally found one that I didn't have to pay a scalper for, and it's actually really awesome for what it is. Feel free to research it and decide if it's worth your money based on how you game, but I'm doing more and more portable gaming nowadays instead of out of my living room. There's plenty on the PlayStation 5 I want to play, and now that I have a portable option to go along with my Switch, I'm hoping I can chip away at the old backlog this way. I've had a few people ask me about my PlayStation Portable experience and whether or not it's worth the purchase, and all I'll say is this. Do your research. The system is fantastic, especially since the handles mimic the PlayStation 5's controller haptic feedback and adaptive trigger functions, but just make sure you understand the few shortfalls it has, example proprietary headsets and no Bluetooth, and if that's something that makes sense for you and your gaming style and habits, knock yourself out and go for it. If not, there are other solutions out there. For now, though, the PlayStation Portable, for me, is just what the doctor ordered. Alright, I think that is all that I have for this week's catch-up. It's time we start to transition to the reason that you are all here today. It's time to talk about Top Gun for the Nintendo Entertainment System. We had a handful of comments from the Wildlands community about Top Gun, so let's get into those, shall we? First up, we have Chris Copline, who is one of the hosts of the Retro Hangover podcast. He chimed in on Twitter, slash X, and said, Going to say it before everyone else does. Fuck landing. Other than that, it's okay. Yeah, we're going to be talking about landing on that aircraft carrier plenty today. And I wholeheartedly agree with you, Chris. Fuck landing in anything that even resembles landing on an aircraft carrier. Sure, you have on-screen prompts that'll tell you what you need to do and how to maneuver your aircraft, but it can be incredibly hard, and it seems like the game demands absolute precision out of you. Failing here costs you a life, too, and with only three to get you through the entire game, you cannot afford to screw up here. Although, having read the instruction manual online, I now realize how it is that you can control your airspeed with the A and the B buttons. This knowledge doesn't guarantee you're going to make it, but you have a hell of a lot better of a chance. Still, fuck landing at any surface one would land a fighter jet on. <laughs> Thanks for writing into the show, Chris. Next up, we had Dave write in over on our Retro Wildlands Facebook page. He said, A game my dad got me and my brother just because he probably loved the movie, but man, trying to land was tough. In all honesty, Dave, and I think I mentioned this in the episode at some point, I would have absolutely passed on this game, if not for the Top Gun logo. I love the movie so much that I'm probably going to give this game more of a pass than it probably deserves, but even as a licensed game based on a movie, I think Top Gun was decent, all things considered. Shout out to your dad, by the way, who loved the movie, because I don't know anyone outside of him and myself that really, really loves this film. And you're right, landing was tough as nails, but I think I've gotten much better at it now that I'm older. Still, nothing beats completing a level only to land in the drink because I wasn't in the exact spot that the game wanted me to be in. Thank you for dropping a comment for the show, Dave. I very much appreciate it. Hopping over to our new and shiny Blue Sky page, Poppy the Keaton has this to say. I rented it once. My older cousin told me that you had to have an extra life when you landed on the runway because you had to crash. I know that didn't make sense, and I was super excited when I figured out how to land safely. Now that's funny, Keaton, because I about came to the same conclusion myself. Since I couldn't figure out how to land, I assumed you just needed to accept the fact that the game wanted you to crash for some reason, and you had to forfeit a life in the process. But I do vaguely remember landing on the carrier once when I was little, and I'm pretty sure it was all luck. Still, like you, knowing it could be done, changed the game, and finally, I'm proud to say, yes, I can land the Tomcat on the carrier in Top Gun, and no one can take that away from me. Wear your landing badge proudly, Keaton, and thank you very much for the comment. Uncle330 wrote in to the show over on our Threads page and said, I've never played that game, but the way you do your podcast, it's like I'm playing it right next to you, so LOL, love your stuff. Keep on keeping on. Thanks a bunch, man. I really appreciate you saying that, seriously. Hopefully, if I did this game justice and my vision came together like I wanted, you and I will absolutely be flying high together, taking out bad guys and looking cool as hell while we do it. If you ever get a chance to, definitely give this game a try. There are certainly better games out there, but there are also some worse ones too. Thank you very much for writing into the show, I appreciate the comment. And our last comment comes from Chuck over on our Facebook page. He simply said, Up, up, down, down. (laughs) Words to live by, but more often than not, die by as you make that final approach to the carrier. Will we land on the carrier today, my friends? Make sure you stick around and find out. Thank you very much for chiming in, Chuck. I appreciate it. Released in November of 1987, Top Gun was a shoot-'em-up-style flight simulator where players take control of an F-14 Tomcat, the U.S. Navy's premier fighter jet, and take the fight to the enemy. They've invaded Allied territory and are prepared to march to war. While the Navy has plenty of hardware at its disposal to repel the enemy threat, their most powerful resource is going to be you. You are a hotshot fighter pilot who knows how to turn and burn, and you're the kind of pilot that gets things done. Using your Tomcat that has been loaded up with plenty of missiles and guns, it's time we show our foes who really rules the skies. So let's suit up, Wildlanders. Put on your flight suits, grab your helmets, and don't forget your badass sunglasses. We are the elite. The best of the best. Up there, we've got to push it. That's our job. And when you're in the skies pulling Mach 2 with your hair on fire, just remember one thing there are no points for second place. and we had nothing but the world and all of its possibilities in front of us, I'm sure we all had big aspirations for what we wanted to do and what we wanted to be. And I'm sure some of us probably nailed those aspirations and are doing the thing that we've always wanted to do. But for me, when I was young, I wanted to be one thing and one thing only. I wanted to fly a fighter jet. Specifically, I wanted to fly the F-14 Tomcat, a twin-engine, two-seat, supersonic jet with wings that folded in when it really had to pick up some speed. It goes without saying, but all of this came courtesy of the 1986 blockbuster movie, Top Gun. I'm assuming we've all heard of Top Gun, right? This was the movie that starred Tom Cruise as a hotshot fighter pilot that went by the call sign Maverick. He and his co-pilot Goose, played by Anthony Edwards, took part in a training program called the Fighter Weapons School. I didn't know it when I was younger, but this school is a real-life program that I believe is still around today. It was established back in 1969, and the sole purpose was to train the Navy's best fighter pilots in advanced air combat maneuvering techniques and then those that graduated would go back to their own squadrons and pass along what it was that they had learned. Much of the Top Gun movie takes place during Maverick's Top Gun training, and while Maverick starts the movie off as a cocky and arrogant pilot, he slowly grows a little bit and ultimately walks away from the experience, a more skilled and a little more wiser after multiple setbacks, a terrible tragedy, and one hard-fought battle. As a kid, though, I did not give a shit about any of that, nor did I really understand much of the actual story that the movie was trying to tell. All I cared about was watching the scenes where the fighter jets were flying around and dogfighting with the enemy. It was an adrenaline rush when I was a kid, and I am not going to lie, I still get excited seeing them today. Top Gun is a movie that, if it comes on in any capacity, I will immediately stop whatever I'm doing to watch it. It is practically non-negotiable. But as I got older, I think I really understood what it was that drew me to this film. It was just a simple, action-packed movie that wasn't trying to tell a complicated story or preach any sort of message. It was about a guy who just wanted to be the best, who learned the hard way what that meant, and he got to fly some awesome aircraft while it all happened. Period. That's it. Top Gun was a commercial success. I find it hard to believe, but this movie was shot on a budget of $15 million, and it made a whopping $357 million worldwide. For as expensive as movies are to make nowadays, this was an incredible feat back in the day. So, it was no surprise that a video game adaptation would emerge that would try to bring the magic of the movie into homes everywhere. Top Gun for the Nintendo Entertainment System was born sometime in November of 1987, and I think it was around 1989 or 1990 that I actually played it for the first time at my aunt's house. Video games have always been a part of my life growing up, but I don't have a lot of vivid memories of the early years. Oftentimes, I'll remember bits and pieces, or even flashes of a game that I played, and that was it. Top Gun on the NES was one such game for me. I remember enough about it that I know I played it, but it may have only been a few sessions. There isn't a lot to remember about the game, since it really isn't all that long, but I'll never forget how it felt to dogfight on my NES, destroy or avoid incoming missiles, and how I would crash repeatedly when I tried to land my plane at the end of each level. Or how about refueling in (laughs) mid-air? That was a fun one, too. Still, while I have an incredible love for the movie, I never had a reason to seek out or go back to the NES game. It wasn't until Top Gun came up in random conversation that I told my kids a game based on the movie came out for the Nintendo that was almost as old as I was. We had a good chuckle after that, but I couldn't get the game out of my head at that point. It certainly didn't help matters that I took the time to watch the movie again. After the credits rolled, it was decided. I needed to go back and check this game out. As I've gotten into more and more retro games over the last few years, I've heard Top Gun on the NES was just meh, nothing to write home about. Really, what most people were stuck on was how difficult the game was, especially when you had to land your Tomcat on the aircraft carrier. But is that all the game had to offer? At that point, I made it my mission to go back and find out. Was Top Gun on the NES better than people think? Or was it really just a fighter jet crash simulator? Well, my friends, I think it is time to give Top Gun its moment in the spotlight, so sit back and relax as we start to peel back the layers and see exactly what it is that we're working with. So, what is this game? Top Gun is a shoot-em-up style combat flight simulator that was released in 1987 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Players take control of an F-14 Tomcat, the fighter jet featured in the 1986 movie, which is a real-life fighter used by the United States Navy. The Tomcat was first made back in 1970, saw its first deployment in '74, and was eventually retired from service in September 2006. While the U.S. Navy no longer uses the Tomcat, it's actively used in a small capacity by the Iranian Air Force. If you've ever seen the Top Gun movie, you will know that the F-14 is a badass aerial fighter. It serves multiple roles, but it was mainly used as an interceptor aircraft, which specialized in chasing down and intercepting enemy aircraft like bombers and fighters. Because of this, the Tomcat was often utilized as a general air superiority aircraft. Basically, the Tomcat helped establish air dominance over a specific area, and its extreme agility and firepower was a great way to either deter enemy forces from entering that area, or the Tomcat would just knock them out of the sky with extreme prejudice. It was the perfect fighter jet to use in the movie, and while the swing-wing design was mainly used to help with speed and maneuverability, it looked badass on the big screen. Even though players of Top Gun on the NES will see their Tomcat from the inside during gameplay, it's hard not to think about how it looks on the outside. As a kid, I remember playing this game and pretending that I was in the movie, dogfighting MiGs and fighting to get that perfect missile lock. Oh, hell yeah, that will never get old. So, what's the story in Top Gun the video game? Are we in training like Maverick is in most of the movie? No. Top Gun on the NES has a pretty straightforward story that's going to see us taking the fight to the enemy, and we'll need to take down a variety of airborne targets as well as some ground-based ones. Now, it's been a while since we've referred to the instruction manual when setting up the opening of a game here on the podcast, but Top Gun's instruction manual perfectly sets the stage in perfect instruction manual fashion. Let's grab that and open it up. Oh, I love that instruction manual smell. Hopefully, I am not the only one that sniffs manuals and books, or else that moment just now was pretty weird, and I apologize in advance. (laughs) Anyway, let's jump in and figure out what our mission is. Snug in the cockpit of a $30 million war machine, you ease the control stick forward and aim the plane's nose towards the center of the runway. The sun glows orange on the horizon of Fighter Town, USA, and all appears peaceful as you complete your second training sortie of the day. Back inside the flight room, you relax with a hot cup of java, content being the Navy's hottest fighter jock. Suddenly the commander bursts in and gives you a quick salute. His face appears ice cold as he hands you orders marked Top Secret. Breaking the seal, you read the news.
1: The enemy has invaded vital oil fields and is preparing to advance on our allies. Its navy is fully deployed, and our intelligence warns us they will soon commence an all-out attack on our task force in the region. Adding to the conflict, they have put into operation their latest space base, capable of launching killer satellites on a moment's notice. Your orders, Lieutenant, are to immediately join the carrier USS Enterprise. From there, you will command a squadron of F-14s into battle, with your primary mission being to knock out the enemy's leading air, sea, and land forces, and then to proceed forward, destroying the space base. Remember, the entire free world will be flying with you. If you succeed, World War III will be averted. If you fail, may God help us all. Good luck, signed, Mr. President. You crumple the orders and eat them. You know what you must do.
0: Pfft, we crumple our orders and eat them? <laughs> that right there is why I love instruction manuals. Story setups like these are just the perfect amount of cheese, and I love it. Uh, anyway, it's a pretty basic story setup, and that's all we're going to need for this adventure. In the game, we're going to contend with pretty much what we just heard. Targets in the air, on the sea, and on land. The game takes place over four levels, and if you think that isn't a lot, you are absolutely correct. While the first level of the game is around six or seven minutes long, the other three can be slightly longer. But that's not taking into account the amount of times that you're most likely going to fail, lose all your lives, and have to start the game over from scratch. That is because Top Gun on the NES is hard, and it will put your skills as a world-class Navy fighter pilot to the test. You start the game with three lives, and if you lose all three of them, it's game over and you have to start over. While you do have a score that will increase as you down the bad guys and successfully land on the aircraft carrier at the end of each stage, I never noticed being awarded an extra life or anything while I was playing. I could have missed it, but for me, it was one, two, three strikes, and I was out. But don't let the difficulty of Top Gun immediately turn you off. For better or worse, I think it's worth taking to the skies and seeing what this game is all about. So, that being said, it's about time we did just that. Let's slot this game into our Nintendo Entertainment System and get to it. But, before we do... Every F-14 pilot needs his Rio. And there's no better co-pilot that I'd rather have on this mission than Dee Dee. Dee Dee? Dee Dee, are you ready to go, boy? All right, let's get to it. I feel the need, the need for speed.
1: Woo! Ah, there it is. He said the thing from the movie.
0: You betcha, dear listener, and just you wait, there will be plenty more where that came from. (laughs) You said it, boy. Right away on screen, we're met with a white background and some black text. It's your standard copyright text, but the mood for the game is already being set. An 8-bit version of the notorious Top Gun anthem plays in the background, and I always love the font style used here. It's very military, and it just felt so adult to me when I was little, if that even makes any sense. After this, we're taken to the title screen. The Top Gun logo, in all of its red and blue glory, is at the top of the screen with the Konami logo just above it. To the left, we see the silhouette of an F-14 Tomcat looking sexy as hell, and then to the right are the words Press Start Key. To my knowledge, this is the only game that I've ever seen on the NES that says Press Start Key, while I'm assuming key is synonymous with button, I always thought that was weird. But anyway, there are no options to mess with or settings to toggle. As soon as we press Start on our controller, the music cuts away rather abruptly, and we're still staring at the title screen for some reason. We need to press the Start button a second time, apparently, before we can continue. Always thought that was odd, but all is forgiven on the next screen. On screen, we're shown an F-14 Tomcat from the backside. The graphics here are pretty impressive, and this part right here is one that I'm sure those of you that have played this game will remember quite well. The sky is a sort of faded orange, the kind of sky that you would see in the early morning. To the right side of the screen, we see a small little pixelated dude. Assuming the Tomcat that's being shown is on an aircraft carrier, that little guy would be the Catapult Officer, otherwise known as the Shooter. He's one of many people on the deck of the carrier that makes sure planes get off the deck safely. If you've seen Top Gun the movie, he's the little guy that salutes to Maverick before he takes off. Turning our attention back to the Tomcat, it fires up its twin engines and we see flames spit out the backside. While it's never going to match a real-life Tomcat, I have to say, the NES did a pretty good job of making the F-14 Tomcat roar like a ferocious lion. Oh, hell yes! I don't know about you, but that just hits the spot perfectly. With our Tomcat ready to go, the game begins, and we get set for our first mission. (music) On the next screen, we're shown a pretty nondescript map of the mission area. At the top of the screen, green letters start to type themselves out. Mission 1, training for the next mission. This first mission, for the most part, should be pretty easy going. We aren't going to have much enemy resistance, and it's the perfect level to get used to how the game works and controls. On the next screen, we need to choose what missiles we want to arm our Tomcat with. We'll have three choices for missiles the T11 Hound, the T22 Wolf, and the T33 Tiger. The differences are pretty obvious. The Hound has a power rating of 1, and you can take 40 of them with you into battle, making it the weakest but most plentiful missile. The next step up is the Wolf. Power level is 2, and you can only take 20 of those into battle. Lastly, the Tiger is the strongest missile by far with a power rating of 4, but you can only take 10 of them into battle with you. Stronger missiles will be more useful in the later stages of the game, when you're taking on bigger targets like enemy aircraft carriers and other land-based targets, but for this mission, the Hound missile will do just fine. As soon as we select it, the game confirms our choice, and we're taken to the cockpit of our F-14. Before we begin our mission, we need to take off from the aircraft carrier. Now before we do that, let me give you a quick tour around the cockpit so you know what all the bells and whistles are. Okay, on the left, we have our altitude. We can go as high as 30,000 feet and as low as 500 feet. I never really got a sense that your altitude mattered all that much in the game. You can never go lower than 500 feet, so there's no actual danger of crashing that I ever came into, and in the later levels, you'll spend most of your time down low so you can take out ground targets. Airborne targets seem to spawn regardless of what your altitude is, so I never paid this number much mind. But it will be super important when we try to land our plane on the carrier, but we'll get there in due time, trust me. Next, we have our airspeed, measured in miles per hour. Another cool thing to see, but it has no real bearing during the mission itself. This will come into play more so when we're landing our plane or trying to refuel it in mid-air, but I will say it is pretty freaking cool to see how fast that we're going. Now further left, we have our fuel gauge. So, an interesting part of later levels, which I've kind of already alluded to, is that we will not have enough fuel to complete our mission, and we're going to have to refuel in air by coupling with a mid-air refueling aircraft. When our fuel gauge gets low, we're going to hear this warning indicator. With a tone as annoying as that, it's going to be hard to miss. From there, we need to press our start button and the refueling aircraft will come and hook us up. We'll touch on this fun process when the time comes as well. I always assumed that they tossed this game mechanic in as a callback to the movie, where in the opening scene, Maverick and his wingman Cougar are in danger of running out of fuel. Now the last thing on the left hand side of the cockpit is a gauge called the Artificial Horizon. This is just a little gauge that gives you an idea of what your aircraft is doing as you fly it. You'll notice it moves to the left and right as you bank in those directions, as well as move up and down as you climb up or down in altitude. Now moving our eyes to the right side of the cockpit, we'll see a display that shows what type of missile that we have selected to take along with us and how many of those missiles that we have left to use. Below that view, there are a few gauges that do not do anything, and I guess they're just there to fill up space, so no need to pay attention to those. Now speaking of filling up space, the very center of our cockpit is taken up by a big radar screen. This multi-function monitor serves multiple functions. Most of the time it's going to serve as a radar and will indicate the position of any enemies that are around you. This way, you can bank left or right accordingly in order to intercept them and blow them to smithereens. Beyond the radar aspect of this monitor, it will let you know when you have a MIG on your tail and need to take some evasive maneuvers. This screen will also be used to help you land your F-14 on the deck of the carrier at the end of each mission, and you will use this screen to help yourself line up the fuel hose when attempting to refuel mid-flight. The very last thing to call out under the radar itself is the damage indicator. The red blocks are basically your health meter, and if you take any damage on a mission, the blocks will start to decrease. When they are gone, so are you. Now it seems like we have a lot of things to keep track of on screen, but we're mostly going to be keeping an eye on our radar as we go about our mission, so don't feel too overwhelmed. With all of that out of the way, it is time we get on mission and get airborne. Flashing on our radar screen, we see the words, TAKE OFF, and at this point, our Tomcat's engines light up, and we automatically take off from the deck. right, it's game time. The directional pad on your NES controller is what's going to move us around the skies. Holding left or right will have you bank in those directions, and pressing down or up will have you climb up and descend. As enemies appear on screen, you're going to need to maneuver in such a way to put them as close to the center of the screen so you can take them out. Speaking of, take a look at the radar. A flashing dot appears right behind us, and it's coming up on our left side. These flashing dots are the enemy, so let's get ready to engage. As soon as the enemy fighter flies past us from behind, it appears on screen. Okay, let's take it out. We can do this in one of two ways. First we can lock on and fire a missile at it. To do that, first we have to make sure the enemy is in the center of our screen and in the middle of our weapon sight. Looking straight ahead, you'll see a small crosshair in the middle of our view and a sort of outer square highlighted with just the corners visible. If we have our enemy at least in this square off area, we should be able to get a missile lock. To do that, all you need to do is press the B button. If our lock-on is successful, a red square will highlight the enemy aircraft. Let's go for missile lock now. Steady. Steady… Excellent. We've got tone. Press the B button again to let loose a missile. We'll watch as a missile flies towards our enemy. Once it makes impact, that enemy fighter can kiss their ass goodbye. Woo! Splash one bogey! But don't get complacent yet. Maverick and Iceman may have taken out four bogeys in the movie, but we're going to be up against way more enemy fighters than that in this game. Speaking of, another enemy fighter is coming up from behind us to the left. He flies past us and gets in front of us. (laughs) Heh, it's almost as if these knuckleheads just want to get shot down. Well, that's fine by us. But instead of using a missile on this chump, let's take him down with some good old fashioned machine gun fire. Our Tomcat is outfitted with a 20mm M61 Vulcan rotary cannon, capable of turning most objects into Swiss cheese. And the best part, we have unlimited machine gun ammunition so we can let the bullets fly. Pressing the A button will fire our machine gun, but one thing that we need to keep in mind is that our machine gun is apparently semi-automatic, meaning that we can't hold down our A button for continuous fire. We're going to have to tap the A button repeatedly. Not the worst thing ever, but eh, just something to keep in mind. Anyway, let's line up our next victim into our crosshairs. Now here's where the game can start to get a little touchy. Lining up an enemy in the center crosshair will be easier said than done in most cases. Using the directional pad, we'll need to move up, down, left, or right accordingly, and once the enemy is in our sight, unleash a volley of machine gun fire. Obviously, the closer the enemy is, they are much easier to hit, so if you're going to use your guns, use them early. Okay, let's line this guy up and take him out. Nice! Splash 2! A third enemy is going to come up behind us as well, so let's make sure we keep up foreign relations and take his ass out, too. Splash 3. Excellent work. Several waves of enemies will be coming up from behind us after this, and all we'll need to do is try our best to take him out. However, we need to be on our toes. On occasion, we'll have enemies come at us from the front, and they'll be opening fire on us. Now, we have two decisions to make when this scenario pops up. One, we can either evade our attackers by banking one way or the other, or we can attempt to take them out with a quick trigger finger. Shooting down every enemy is not required to complete our mission, but if you want the highest score, taking down the enemy is how you do it. Just be mindful that you're more apt to take damage if you fight back, unless you can quickly become an expert at moving back and forth while lining up your shots. Enemies can attack you in the same ways that you can attack them. First, they can shoot their machine guns at you. You can dodge the bullets if you're quick enough, but if they hit you, you're going to take some damage. Ah, crap, watch out! That MiG in front of us is opening fire. Damn it, we took a hit! Our health bar will decrease a little bit, but otherwise we're still in fighting shape. When enemies are coming at you from the front, you'll have little time to react and fire back. Case in point, the enemy who already hit us is already flying past us. Now obviously we'll want to do our best to not take any damage, but taking a few bullets is not the end of the world. Now if the enemy manages to hit us with a missile, We are done, and it does not matter how much health we have left. Most missiles that will be fired will come at us from the front. We aren't given any systematic warning when we see them coming towards us, but they are fairly easy to see. Still, we just need to make sure that we keep our eyes peeled. Missiles that are launched at us appear as black, bowling ball-looking things. We can either attempt to move out of the way and let the missile fly past us, or, if we have the balls, we can line them up in our center crosshair and shoot them out of the sky with machine gun fire. Ah, damn it! a missile is heading right towards us right now. When you see a missile heading towards us, you need to quickly decide what you want to do, either attempt to evade it or take it out. Now here's where the game gets really, really frustrating sometimes. You literally have a solid second to react to incoming missiles, so the difference between winning and losing in this game is being able to determine, based on where the missile is on screen, whether shooting it out of the sky or attempting to evade it is the best course of action. If you choose wrong, or you don't line up your machine guns just right, you'll take a hit and you're done. Damn it. Now. If this happens, you'll end up losing one of your lives, and then the game will throw you right back into the fray for another try. Now, most of the time, the enemies that are going to fire on you will be firing towards you from the front. While you can bank to the left and to the right, you really don't have full freedom of flight in this game, so you can't turn around and attack anything that's behind you. Now on occasion, you might have an enemy come up behind you and try to take you out with a missile strike. If this happens, your radar screen will change and show you a view behind your tomcat. The word danger will appear at the top of the radar and you'll see the silhouette of an enemy fighter coming up behind you. When this happens, you'll need to take some evasive maneuvers and get that bandit off your tail. If you take too long, you'll give the enemy time to lock on to you, and if they let loose a missile, you're toast. Ah, oh, crap, hang on a second. Didi, Didi, check our tail! <coughs> crap! We got one behind us. Okay, we need to shake this guy. We need to press left and then right on the directional pad back and forth until we break away from our pursuer. Let's give it a shot now. Stay calm. Bank left bank right, whew, we lost him. Shaking a bogey from your tail isn't all that hard, but sometimes the timing can just be flat out inconvenient since you need to prioritize getting clear instead of focusing on taking out enemies that are in front of you. While this isn't a life-changing game mechanic or anything, I always appreciated its inclusion in this game, if for no other reason than to add some tension and excitement just like the movie, although it would have been really awesome if you could hit the brakes and watch the bogey fly right by. Then you could take it out. Such a missed opportunity. When you get to the end of a level, there's one more thing that we need to do. We have to land our Tomcat onto the deck of the aircraft carrier. When we get to this part of the level, our radar will chime and let us know that we're beginning the landing sequence. When this happens, the game will automatically descend our aircraft to an altitude of about 400 feet. Here's where a ton of people seem to have a problem with this game, and where a lot of traumatic experiences seem to stem from. Landing can be pretty difficult because you need to follow the prompts on your radar and they can be pretty touchy and demanding. But in reality, landing isn't too bad once you know what you need to do and how to do it. Even still, I always feel like there's this element of randomization that will determine whether I make it or not. Who knows though, it might just be me. Alright, let's get this bird on the deck. First and foremost, look at the radar. At the top of the radar, you'll be given instructions, things like speed up, speed down, left or right. As you move forward, the aircraft carrier is going to come into view. Now, in the middle of your radar is a sideways profile of your F-14 so you can see how high or low your nose is pitched. And below that is the altitude rating of 200 feet and then the speed of 288 miles per hour. This is what we're ultimately shooting for while keeping ourselves relatively centered with the carrier. The altitude and speed gauges on the left side of your cockpit, which were mostly useless during the level itself, are now something that you're going to need to keep an eye on like a Hawk. To increase your airspeed, press and hold the A button and then release it when you get to the speed that you're looking for. Holding the B button will decrease your airspeed. I had no idea that this was even a thing when I was playing the game when I was younger and I never managed to make it onto the carrier, but now that I know how to control your airspeed, that is half the battle licked right there. Okay, so does all that make sense? Hopefully because we need to land, our fuel is getting pretty low. Okay, nice and steady. Radar is telling us that we're going a bit too fast, so we need to slow it down a little bit. Hold the B button to pull back a little. There you go. Okay, we need to move a little bit to the left a touch. Okay, good, but not too much. Airspeed is still too fast, so we need to keep slowing down. Ah, shit, that was too much. Let's give it a little bit more power. There we go. Easy, easy. Just a walk in the park, buddy. You're a little low. You're a little low. Come on, pull up. Pull up, that's it. Almost there. Nomad, you're well below the glide path, three quarters of a mile, call the ball. Roger, ball. We're too low, we're too low. Pull up, pull up, just give it a little bit more power. Okay, pull it back. All right, a little bit to the left, left. Now, now to the right, up, up, pull up, pull up. Son of a bitch! Okay, landing on the carrier isn't really that intense of an experience, but with how precise you need to line yourself up, it can certainly seem that way. It's one of those things that, in my opinion, is easier than people think it is, and you just need to practice at it. The biggest key is being aware that you can change your airspeed using the A and B buttons, and once I figured that out, it all sort of fell into place for me. Still, if you manage to land in the ocean, you'll lose a life, but as long as you have at least one left, the game will continue. The next level of the game is where things really start to heat up. Levels become a lot longer, enemies are more plentiful, and the game introduces ground-based targets. In this mission, those ground-based targets include enemy battleships and even submarines that have broken the surface of the ocean. You can still take them out by locking on and firing a missile, as well as with your machine gun, but you need to be careful of ground-based enemies in this game. Some will launch missiles back at you, and sometimes they'll launch up to three at a time. You're going to need to be on your toes when you try to take them on. Always be aware of what's happening around you, and if staying engaged with the enemy is the right thing, or if you need to peel off and go on the defensive in order to stay alive. You'll also want to put some thought into what missile type that you're going to be bringing along with you moving forward. Some ground-based targets take more punishment, and a single T-11 Hound missile, the kind of missile that you had on your last mission, won't take the enemy out in one strike. So because of this, you have to make a choice. Do you upgrade to more powerful missiles at the cost of quantity, or do you just spam the crap out of the little guys that you have? The choice, though, is ultimately yours. Personally, I upgraded to the T-22 Wolf missiles from here on out and made it a point to use them only on ground-based targets, and then I saved my machine guns for anything airborne. But be warned, 20 missiles will not be enough to kill everything on the ground, so if you're looking for a high score, it's going to take some fancy flying and probably a little bit of luck. Now, the last gameplay feature that Top Gun on the NES brings to the table is mid-air refueling. While the first level wasn't long enough for us to need to refuel, the next three levels will be that long, and we're going to need to make sure that we're paying attention to our fuel gauge and call in a refuel when we get low. If we do not do this, we won't make it to the end of the level, and we'll spiral down towards the ocean floor, and that will be that. Refueling in midair operates much like landing, but I argue it is much more stressful. And while I didn't exactly time it out, I feel like you have a little less time to line up the fuel hose than you do lining yourself up for a landing. And to make matters even more stressful, the game decides to play some pretty intense music while this is all happening. Jumping ahead to one of my overall criticisms about this game, there is no music at all when you're playing through a level. All you hear is the ambient, pixelated noise of your Tomcat's engine, and while I think the sound itself was actually done well enough, and I'm sure the developers were going for an element of realism here, it can get pretty old and pretty stale pretty quick. But out of nowhere, when it comes to a refuel, All bets are off. When you're in the air and your fuel gauge gets down to only two bars remaining, you'll start to get a low fuel warning. At the bottom of your radar, the words, fuel empty, will appear, followed by, press start. The second you see this, press the start button and this will send out a call to the refueling aircraft who just happens to be in the area. The alarm will stop at this point and when whatever enemies are on screen are either destroyed or fly off, the refueling sequence will begin. The refueling aircraft, which looks pretty badass I will say, comes in from the right side of the screen and then centers itself. As soon as it centers itself, the refueling process begins. It starts to lower the fuel line and we need to guide our tomcat's nose so it can connect with the hose. On your radar, you'll see the nose of your F-14 at the bottom and a representation of the fuel hose at the top. Doing just what you did for landing, you'll need to either move left or right or speed up or speed down to help guide the hose in. Altitude isn't anything you need to worry about in this particular scenario, so just concentrate on your airspeed and your left to right movement. In my opinion, since I finally learned how to control my airspeed as an adult, refueling is pretty easy. When I replayed this game last week, I had zero issues lining up that hose and connecting it. All of it is kind of a nice change of pace when it comes to the gameplay loop, and it honestly helped me a bit with the overall immersion. While having unlimited machine gun ammo is certainly not realistic at all, the game does try its best to keep things as believable as possible. But where it loses that realism is in the event that you don't connect with the refueling hose. If you take too long and miss the fuel line connection, the refueling aircraft will slowly retract the hose. Once it's out of sight, the refueling aircraft will start to drift to the left and then eventually completely off-screen. You automatically descend and then you're given back control of your Tomcat. At this point, the game is basically rubbing your face in dirt, because the fuel alarm is going to keep blaring, and you're forced to continue the level until you run out of fuel, all the while the sounds of your low fuel alarm being the last thing you hear before you meet your end. What. The. Fuck. If you don't connect your fuel line, the refueling crew literally leaves you to die. Worse yet, the game makes you play the level out until you run out of fuel and there is nothing you can do. You can't even call the refueling plane back either. Your reward for your failure is wasted time and a miserable death. As we start to wind it down, I don't really have much more to say about the gameplay experience that Top Gun brings to the table. There's just enough here that makes this game a competent flight-based shooter, and if you're looking for a simplistic experience, this game will absolutely scratch you where you wish. A sequel was made called Top Gun The Second Mission, and it greatly expands the gameplay, almost to the point where you would think that this game was originally an arcade shooter. It actually reminded me a lot of Afterburner in some ways, and while I only played the second Top Gun a handful of times, I think I actually prefer the original for its more deliberate approach to gameplay. While you don't have much freedom of movement and targeting bad guys can be challenging, all the while avoiding taking damage from the enemy, taking part in the extra side stuff like landing on the aircraft carrier, refueling in midair, and even shaking a bogey off your tail are just enough to give this game its own unique identity. Is Top Gun on the NES a must-play? No, it really isn't. You can pass this game up if you've never played it before or never go back to it if you have and you really aren't missing anything vital in your journey as a gamer. Top Gun, for me, is a link to my past and a gateway to some awesome memories I had growing up with a movie that I still love today. Top Gun on the NES makes me think of my aunt, since that's where I played this game, and the Top Gun movie reminds me of when I was little, watching this movie over and over again at my grandparents' house. My grandma would make me a bowl of ramen noodles with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I would eat them, watching Maverick, Goose, Iceman, and the rest of the Top Gun class turn and burn high above the sky. Movies, games, and life was much simpler in the 80s, and when I look at how we all live our lives now, it's hard not to get swept up in it all. But when I slide Top Gun into my Nintendo and I power it up, I'm immediately taken back to simpler times. The warmth of my grandparents' house, the wonderful taste of ramen and PB&J and the rush I get from imagining myself in the cockpit of an F-14 Tomcat. Iceman is in trouble. He has a MIG on his tail, and unless I take it out, Ice is done for. I come around and get behind the MIG, and I work to get a missile lock. I keep it steady, and the green targeting reticle on my display finds its mark. I got good luck, firing. Splash 3! As soon as I peel off, Iceman cries out over the radio to me. Move! There's a MIG on your tail, there's a MIG on your tail! I look down at my display and I grit my teeth. We've got a problem here, we've only got one missile left. My Rio in the back seat lets me know that the MiG is right behind us, and at this moment, the MiG lets loose a barrage of machine gun fire. Shit! I pull the stick to the side and start evasive maneuvers as bullets whiz by. Whew, not a scratch. My Rio looks behind us. You haven't lost him, he's still with us. On my instrument panel, I hear a tone that lets me know that the MiG is going for missile lock. But that's alright, because I have a plan. My Rio doesn't know what I have in mind, and I don't have time to explain either. I can feel his wide eyes on the back of my neck. What are you doing? You're slowing down! You're slowing down! I just smirk under my mask. I'm bringing him in closer. My Rio's disbelief was very apparent. You're gonna do what? I patiently wait for the moment. I'm gonna hit the brakes, and he'll fly right by. At that moment, the MiG finally gets missile lock on me. And that's my signal. NOW! I pull up and I dramatically decrease my airspeed. The MiG, who had a huge hard-on for my destruction, flies underneath me. I level out the Tomcat and go for a missile lock of my own. I've got a good lock, firing. Woo! Splash 4! I turn my attention to the remaining baddies in the area, but those bastards have turned tail and are running. With a smile on my face, I report back to the carrier. Mustang, this is Voodoo 3, remaining Migs are bugging out. is all she wrote, my friends. This has been episode 51 of the Retro Wildlands Top Gun for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today. While there really isn't too much to this game, I honestly enjoyed it for what it was trying to be. It certainly helped that this game is tied to my favorite movie of all time, and if I'm being honest, I might have passed this game up if it wasn't for that. While the game can be hard and there really isn't much incentive to play it repeatedly outside of pursuing a high score, it had some gameplay elements that were pretty good for the time, and those elements were used as a basis to build on future games in the genre. If you've never played this game before, I honestly don't think you'd miss out on too much if you decide to give this one a pass. Still, I don't think it would be a complete waste of time if you wanted to see what it was all about. For me, though, Top Gun on the NES will probably slot in as one of my overall favorites. The memories I have tied to the movie and the nostalgia I feel when I watch it is something that I still have a hard time putting into words, and this video game brings back those feelings for me. If you like the show, and I assume you did if you made it this far, please consider supporting it by subscribing to it on your preferred podcasting platform. The Retro Wildlands is a hobby for me, and while I do my best to be constantly working on it by playing games, writing scripts, and all the things that make a show, I don't always have the time to commit to it like I want to. Because of this, I don't really have a release schedule, and things come out as I have time to make them. Subscribing to the podcast will allow you to be notified the moment I drop new episodes. Now, if you really like the show and like what I'm trying to do here, I would really appreciate it if you helped spread the word about the show. And a great way to do that is to leave us a good review. You can leave us a review on Spotify, Podchaser, iTunes, as well as on Podbean, the platform that I'm using to host the show. Good reviews will help circulate the show, but more than anything, they'll make me feel good, and I'll take some good vibes. But please, you are under no obligation to take time out of your day to leave a review, unless you think that I've earned it. At the end of the day, I'm thankful that you took the time to listen to my show, and that is much more than I could ask for. So, with that said, thank you for being here. So, what's coming up next? Since you decided to listen this far, I've decided to tell you. I'm going to get down and dirty with a video game that many people consider to be one of the best video games of all time. I actually casually posted a photo of this game on our social media pages, and I asked everyone if this is a game that I should consider playing. And I was absolutely blown away by how many comments I received saying I had to play this game sooner rather than later. We don't have a huge social media presence, really, but the number of comments I received was unreal. So, at that point, it was decided. Next time on the Retro Wildlands, I am going to be talking about Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo. Admittedly, I haven't played this game yet, but I'm getting started soon. I'm hoping I do this amazing game justice, so make sure you're subscribed to the show so you know when the episode comes out. And while you're at it, make sure you follow us on social media so you can potentially get updates and an opportunity to sound off about this awesome game when the time comes. Regardless of how you interact, I'm hoping you'll decide to join us again on our Wildlands expedition when we dive into a video game that quite literally changed everything. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad and you can find me… Roaming the Retro wildlands.